Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast helping attorneys improve their practices. We're glad you can listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Christopher Anderson. I'm an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers be more successful in running their law firm businesses. I work directly with lawyers across the country to help them achieve success. I've been a product manager at LexisNexis, a managing partner and practicing attorney in a law firm in Athens, Georgia, as well as a former prosecutor in Athens and in New York City. In this program, I have a chance to speak to you, as I do in presentations across the country, about operating and managing your law firm more like a business, about making your law firm work for you. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is the six key numbers every attorney should know. And my guest today to speak about that is Brooke Lively. Brooke currently serves as a CFO. That is a chief financial officer to over 20 small and solo law firms across the country. She also helps other entrepreneurs in other industries conquer their numbers to grow their businesses. As a receiver in Texas, Brooke has a special interest in family-owned and operated companies and other assets in dispute, with her expertise focusing on the fundamental analysis, firm modeling, and valuation backed by strong quantitative skills. Brooke has uh, covered a wide range of public companies when she was an equity analyst with Lindis Advisors um, before she formed her current uh, group called Cathedral Capital. Brooke holds an MBA with a concentration in investments and corporate finance from Texas Christian University, and she's also been awarded the Chartered Financial Analyst Certification and is a member of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. On a personal note, Brooke loves to travel, and she just got back from three weeks in China Um, And she looks forward to adventures in Spain and Portugal. When not traveling, she's in Colorado fishing, hiking, and sitting on her back deck listening to the river while she tries to beat down her schedule and get to her yoga classes. We'll give you her contact information in a little bit, but she does blog at uh, cathcap.com slash category slash entrepreneurs, and her Twitter handle is at cathcapcfo. I've known Brooke as a CFO and seen the work that she's done with uh, dozens of law firms um, and can uh, personally attest to the fantastic uh, results that she's been able to get with them. So without further ado, let's uh, be talking to Brooke today about the six key numbers every attorney should know, specifically what they are and why you should know about them. Welcome, Brooke. Thanks, Christopher. I appreciate you having me on. No, it's absolutely my pleasure. So let's start with why should attorneys, quite honestly, all business owners, be familiar with these six key numbers? Well, these are the numbers that let you really manage your business. They tell you where you are, where you're going, where you've been. And once you have all of that information, you can make well-reasoned strategic decisions to be able to move your business forward. So for starters, let's go over them. What are the six key numbers? They are your cash position, your budget, your accounts receivable, your cash projections, your budget variance, and your income variance. All right. And just uh, for starters, I think for each one of those, 
Uh, let, let's let's go through them one at a time. First of all, cash position. Uh, I, I know that when I first came into my law firm, that I eventually took over as managing partner, uh, the partners looked at the checkbook once a week on Fridays and then decided how much money they could take for themselves. Is that what you mean? Well, to some extent, yes. Um, looking at the checkbook is absolutely the right thing to do to find your cash balance. The technology has made it so easy for people to log on to the bank and see how much cash is in there, and they tend to make decisions based on what the bank balance says online. The problem is, is that isn't your true cash balance. Your cash balance is how much cash you would have if all of those credit cards that you ran yesterday and today cleared and got deposited into your account, but also all those checks that are outstanding. And that payroll that you approved yesterday that's going to come out after 6 o'clock tonight, you have to make sure that you are looking at the cash balance based on your bookkeeping system. So your partners looked at an old-fashioned paper checkbook to see how much was in there. Most attorneys today look at QuickBooks, and that is your true cash balance. Great. And what kind of decisions – why is it important to look at it? What kind of decisions does it drive? Well – The most important thing is, do I have enough cash to get through the next X amount of time? Do I have enough cash to get through payroll at the end of the week? Do I have enough cash to pay rent? Do I have enough cash to pay my LexisNexis bill? You need to take your cash balance, and this really kind of flows into your budget, which is our next number. How long will that cash last you? Great. Is that it? Well, no. If you know how long it will last you, you can make decisions about what gets paid. So if you know that you have $8,000 worth of bills outstanding and you have $7,000 worth of cash in the bank, there's some decisions to be made. Great. Yeah, it beats bouncing a check for sure. So you said it flows directly into the budget. So first of all, I think, again, it's it's really amazing to me. I always hate to presume that these words are familiar to folks because I've stood in front of enough audiences where when I talk about making a budget for your law firm, I do get some quizzical looks. So for starters, can you tell us just what is a budget and why should a law firm have one? Your budget is basically what you're planning to spend for the next month or year. We like to break down your budget by month, but we do it for a full year out. And it helps guide you, and it guides you in a number of different ways. First, let's discuss what should be in your budget. Think about your office and everything that it takes to run your firm. So there are going to be some major categories in there. The one that will be the most expensive for your firm is always going to be your people. So payroll should be an item in your budget. Your rent office supplies, utilities, if you have to pay utilities. If you're renting a copier, we need to know that we're going to have to pay the copier company $127 every month. Insurance, bar dues, um, all of these things that come up during the year, we need to know what they are, how much they're going to cost, and when we're going to have to pay them. Because based on that, we can start to make decisions. How many billable hours do we need to move through this firm on a monthly basis to be able to afford to open our doors? Great. So 
the things that you just rolled through, the payroll, the rent, the office supplies, um, including postage, you, you mentioned equipment rental, like copiers, et cetera, keeping the lights on, keeping the phones ringing, um, and of course, insurance, which is uh, our favorite thing to pay. Those all sound like things that do kind of repeat in a predictable, regular way. They really do. And especially if you are using a bookkeeping program like QuickBooks, it will automatically create a budget for you based on your actual expenditures in the previous year. So it really looks at that and you just go through then and adjust the numbers. And what it gives you at the bottom of every month is what we call your monthly nut. What is that? I've heard that term before. (laughs) This is how much it costs to keep your office open. It's what it costs to open your doors. Okay. And and of course, this wasn't an exhaustive list. Um, there are other things we end up having to pay for or choosing to pay for, right? Marketing. Um, there, there, are, there are several things that law firms do that are outside these fixed costs to open your doors every day. That's correct. However, if you don't spend money on marketing, the chances of people coming through your doors and hiring you are substantially lower than if you make that expenditure. So sure. you probably want to build marketing in and realize that that is a cost of doing business. And so when you look at your budget and you find your monthly nut, you know that everything you collect above your monthly nut is profit, and that is what goes in your pocket. Excellent. Now, one of the things that I've run into with some folks is they forget about when you, when you talk about payroll, they do think about all their people except for one themselves. Uh, the and, owner. Yeah. How, do, how should owners deal with that in the budget as opposed to taking profit? Well, there are a couple of different ways. If we're talking about solo law firms, the vast majority of them are S-corp elections. And the IRS does require that an officer of an S-corp take payroll. So, If you are an S-Corp, you really need to be talking to your tax accountant and making sure that you are abiding by IRS regulations and that you are taking a salary. I actually do a cheater thing with my clients. The problem with the owners taking a draw is that that is all these numbers that we're talking about happen on your profit and loss statement. And most attorneys are familiar with the P&L, you know, what you made, what you spent, here's what's left over. The draw does not happen on your profit and loss statement. It happens on a different financial statement, so it's hard to see. Mm-hmm. I actually cheat, and I have my clients do a little bit of finagling in QuickBooks, and I have their draws show up on QuickBooks, on their P&L, and we budget for them because if the owner's not getting paid, the whole firm's not going to work. Right. But so they definitely should account for that when they're thinking about what their monthly nut is to make sure that their plans account for them getting paid. Right. Because there, there is no spouse that really wants to hear, oh, sorry, honey, I paid the receptionist and I paid the copier guy and I paid the office supply people that, whoops, I forgot to budget to pay us. And so no groceries this month. Yeah, that doesn't work for too long. No. So that's all on the spending side in the budget. Um, how do we manage? I uh, think the next uh, number that you talked about wanting to track was accounts receivable. Is that how we track what's coming in? 
Well, ideally, you shouldn't have accounts receivable. I truly believe that accounts receivable is created in the initial consultation with your client. You have brought them in, you've talked to them, and you have had them, please, I hope, sign a fee agreement. Many fee agreements neglect to really address payment. And what I recommend that all attorneys do is have a retainer that is due before the attorney starts any work. The, the retainer should be in the amount of approximately the first three months of billing. And the reason I say that is because we all know they hire you on the first of the month, you work all the way through the month, you bill them on day one of the second month, they think they have 30 days to pay, you're working all the way through month two, you get to the beginning of month three, they are just now past due, and you start trying to collect the money, and you can't. And so by the end of month three, you realize that you've got a deadbeat client. And you've done 90 days of work. You've done 90 days work. So if you get a retainer that is approximately what you think the first three months of billing are, it's a, it's a little bit of insurance for you. So that's how we deal with deadbeats. But what we really like to do is put in an evergreen clause that says you must maintain X amount in your trust account every month. And uh, my sneaky little trick is I also include a credit card agreement. And the evergreen clause says, if you don't pay within next number of days, we are authorized to charge your credit card to bring your account into compliance with this agreement. So that way you don't have accounts receivable and you have authorization from the client to charge their card. It also helps your cash flow because you have faster access to cash. I know that we're going to have a lot of listeners that have substantial accounts receivable balances. Um, it seems to be a natural thing to have in this industry. So you, what you've talked about, it sounds great you know, from the get-go if you're just setting up how to, how to do things better. And, and I hope that uh, everybody's heard it. But for someone that's already built up an accounts receivable balance, what's a good way to start reducing that? Well, the first and best way is to get on the phone and call your clients. Talk to them. If they can find money to, and this is a true story, client owed an attorney $260,000 and called him one day and was chatting about the new BMW he had bought for his daughter. If they have enough money to do things like that, they have enough money to pay you. Set up payment plans. Communicate with your clients. Every attorney knows their clients. I have never met an attorney that can't look at his or her AR and say, that's collectible and that's not. Triage your AR. Figure out what you can collect in the next 30 days, what you think you can get in 60 days, who you think you can get on a payment plan, and who the true deadbeats are that are never going to pay you. And if they're never going to pay you, you've got one of two decisions. One, you write it off, you make it disappear. And the second option is to send it to collections. All bar rules are different. Every state, you know, kind of has a different threshold for this. Every attorney has a different risk tolerance for bar grievances. And sometimes sending clients to collections can create a bar grievance. So that's a personal choice. But 
what is not good is to look at that deadbeat client that has owed you money for four years and keep beating yourself up about it month after month after month. If they're not paying, get it gone and move forward and start clean. And what's your experience for how old a unpaid bill is before it becomes something that's more of a pipe dream than reality? Well, think of your accounts receivable as rotting fruit. <laughs> Every day that goes by, you are less and less likely to be able to have the use of it. So, you know, 30 days, yeah, you're pretty good. 60 days, it's starting to fall. By the time you get to 90 days, they're really not so interested. 180, it's pretty much a pipe dream. All right. Good uh, benchmarks. All right. You mentioned that uh, accounts receivable do flow into cash projections, which is what we'll talk about next. But before we get there, we're going to give a few moments to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back in just a moment. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just send us an email at advertising at legaltalknetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. All right, we're back uh, with the unbillable hour, and we're talking to Brooke Lively about the six key numbers every attorney should know. When we went to break, Brooke, uh, we were talking about accounts receivable and how they flow into cash projections. And I'm guessing that what we've actually talked about, about cash position and budget and accounts receivable, all help to inform us about this next thing. Is that true? It absolutely does. You take the information that you have and you start to utilize it. So we're going to look at how much cash we have on hand. We're going to look at how much our monthly nut is. We're going to look at our accounts receivable and see how much we think is going to come in in the next 30, 60, 90 days. And then we're going to start making some decisions. And we want to look forward here. So we want to look at next week. I always have cash projections for my clients that look out week by week for six to eight weeks. And then we want to look for the month and we want to look for the next six months. So as you start to build this, you look at how much money you have now, your cash, how much money you think you're going to spend, all of those expenses that are in your budget. And you look at your AR, which is income. And you look at a number that we haven't talked about, your work in progress, how much you're generating that you're going to collect, that's also income. And then you figure out where you are and how much money you have and how long it's going to last you. And Christopher, do you know about, do you know why Black Friday is called Black Friday? I, it was because it was a day of doom for the retailers who are going to open the door. <laughs> actually, it's the exact opposite. I thought that too, and then I actually was in retail for a while. That is the day where traditionally retailers have gone from running in the red to running into the black. That is the tipping point in their day of profitability. Wow, with so five to six weeks them, left in the year? Yep. They have much lower margins than you have in the legal industry. The legal industry has great margins. 
Um, in retail, yes. So what is that? 48 weeks of the year to cover their expenses in six weeks of profit. So think of your WIP report, your work in progress, kind of that same way. You can look at your WIP report and know if your monthly nut is $60,000 and today is the 15th of the month and you have $30,000 in WIP, okay, you're on track to break even. If you have $40,000 in WIP, you're going to get to take some extra cash home. There are going to be a lot of groceries this month. And if you're only at $20,000, you know that you're only a third of the way towards your monthly nut and you're halfway through the month. So we take all of these numbers and we start to look at them to figure out where we are and where the problems may exist. So we look at this. Um, I was talking to a client a few months ago, and I said, all right, now, you're going to have a cash crunch on this day. And it was seven weeks in advance. (laughs) He hyperventilated for a minute, and then he said, well, okay, that's seven weeks. There are things I can do. Like, yes, there are things you can do. We knew a lot of information about him. We knew how many calls needed to come into his office to get X number of appointments. Let's say 10. We knew that for every 10 potential clients he saw, he got five that converted and signed. Okay? So we also know what his average case value was. So if his average case value was $100 for every 10 phone calls that generated, he got $500 in revenue. Well, what did he need to do to go out to make the phone ring 10 times to get the $500? So it was very easy for him to say, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that. And it will up my income and avoid that cash crunch. And it was very empowering for him. But to do this, there are some numbers you need to look at. You need to know the number of calls and your conversion rate and your average case value. You also need to know your employee billing goals, and every employee should have a billing goal. Maybe not your office manager, but your paralegals, your attorneys, even your receptionist. If they do any kind of billable work, they need to have a billing goal, and you need to hold them to it. It's a great reason to terminate someone that's not performing. But if you take the billing goals and you multiply it by their hourly rates, that will tell you the amount that your firm can produce every month. Whether your marketing machine is feeding it enough cases or not, that is your capacity. Right, and and then from what you were talking about before, by keeping accounts receivable down to a minimum and having those retainers, you're not now also worried about how much of this you're going to actually be able to collect. That's right, because you can bill your clients on the first, and depending upon the bar rules in your state, some will, some bar associations say you can pull that money from trust on the first. How nice is it to not have to float your payroll that's due on the fifth to be able to pull 100% of last month's billing out of trust and have it sitting there ready for payroll. That'd be very nice. <laughs> I'd, I'd love, I would have loved to be able to do that in my practice. And those are just some easy tweaks that really will improve your collection rate. Now, I 
only work with one firm that bills 100% out of their trust account. That is very high. A really good collection rate for a law firm is anywhere from like 90 to 93%. Out of their trust account? Well, no, just in general. Total, okay, total. Because you will have, yeah, just total collection. Okay, well, and, and again, I think what the lesson to be learned here is as you work with and know these numbers, your number might be different, but you'll know what it is. So if your number's 80% or 85%, you know what you need to do at the top end to drive X dollars out the bottom. Absolutely. And then once you know that, you can start to maybe work on that collection rate. And then it just occurs to me, and I think you, when I put together what you've been talking about, let's say we go back to that guy that is in the middle of the month. He's at the 15th of the month. Uh, his monthly nut 60, he's got 20 in WIP. He may make some decisions about who he's going to do work for during the last half of the month to make sure to goose up uh, the number to meet his nut. Absolutely. You know, at that point, he is, he should be talking to his staff about only working on cases that have money in trust um, and really going through and making sure that files get pulled for people who do not have money in trust and or who aren't paying. Um, And I know law firms that literally take a red rubber band and put a red rubber band around those files that people can't work on. And it's really effective. Yeah, (laughs) it sounds like you walk around and say, hey, I see a red rubber banded folder open on your desk. What's that about? All right, let's let's move move on past accounts receivable, and uh, let's take the next two topics together, if you don't mind. Budget variance and income variance. What are these reports about, and why do we need to look at them? These reports really look at where you've been. So we know how much cash we have. We have projected what we think we're going to bring in on income. We've projected what we think we're going to spend on expenses. Now the rubber's going to hit the road. What did we actually do? And QuickBooks has a fabulous report. It's called Budget Versus Actual. And it will run your expenses and your income variance report together on one thing. Basically, what it does is it takes your P&L and it sets it right next to your budget. And it tells you, where did you hit it? Where did you miss it? And what were the problems? So... Let's look at your income first. Here's what I look at. Did we make it? Did we not make budget? If we made budget, that's wonderful. And then I go back. My clients track their income not only by practice area, but they also track it by referral source. So was radio 26% of our income this month? and it's normally 46%. That tells me it's a problem. What did we do differently? Sometimes we budget for professional referrals to be 25% and it's 72%. Okay, well, we did something really right, and we need to do that again every month. So it gives you a lot of information about what you did that is effective or not effective so that you can make decisions going forward. When we talk about your expenses, we're looking at a couple of different things. Did we budget correctly? So if we were way over on our phone bill, 
that somebody put that our phone bill was going to be $15 in the budget instead of the 250 it normally is, well, that's a clerical error. But sometimes it's not a clerical error. Sometimes this is an opportunity to look for theft and mismanagement. And um, my favorite story that I've ever heard about this is um, I had someone, they were riding around in the back of a car, at a car and driver, and the driver happened to be the owner of the limo company. And he said that he was looking at his budget variance report and his gas expenses were really high. And they were way over budget and he couldn't figure out why. And this would be normal if they had had a lot more clients than usual, but their income wasn't up, so he couldn't figure out why his gas bill was up so high. So he starts to dig into it and he had issued every one of his drivers their own credit card so that he could track by driver. So he digs down, and sure enough, all the overages was coming from one particular driver. So they dug down a little more, and they started looking at individual transactions. And it turned out that he was putting, like, you know, 35 gallons of gas in the car. Well, would have been fine, but the car only held 18 and a half gallons. <laughs> So they go down to the friendly neighborhood gas station and said, we need to see your videos. And they start watching the security tapes. And sure enough, the guy pulls up and he puts some gas in the town car. And then he pulls the town car up forward, but he doesn't put the nozzle back in the pump. And his wife drives up. And And he just fills her car up. And then, you know, half the neighborhood. Who knows what he's doing? (laughs) So it's a great opportunity for you to look for theft and mismanagement. Sure. Yeah. And you can see how that could really, really capture things. I I think you probably heard of the law firm in New York City that I think recently went under. Somebody was doing $100,000, $150,000 a year in toner cartridges that were just being bought and returned onto their own credit card. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So going through and looking at these numbers in detail. It doesn't take a long time, but it will ultimately save you a lot of heartache because you, if you have a thief working for you, you will catch it within a month or two. And then the last thing that you do after you go through, you adjust the budget accordingly. Your budget is a living, breathing item. You do not set it once on January 1st and leave it for an entire year. I like to print the budget variance report by month for the entire year so I can look back over the past three or four months and see the trends. Is our income trending higher? That's great. We probably need to factor that into our budget going forward. Is this expense disappearing? Absolutely. Are we adding radio to our marketing mix? We need to budget for that. So you go through and you adjust your budget going forward every single month based on what's actually happened because now we're making strategic decisions that will move our firm forward towards better profitability. Yeah, because I I think from what you're explaining here, some budget variances will signify good things. Hey, you know, we're spending less on gas because gas got cheaper. Some of them will signify bad things. Hey, maybe someone's stealing from us. And some of them will just signify changes in the business that we should account for and, and do so moving forward. So I think that that would be really helpful. 
we're reaching the end of our time, Brooke. So one thing I like to do as, as we close is if you could tell our listeners one thing that they could do today or tomorrow to get started to paying attention to these really essential numbers, what would that be? Well, have your bookkeeper run the reports. I know a lot of attorneys don't like to look at their numbers. They're scary. They don't know what they are. But these are all easy, simple reports that can be run out of QuickBooks, and your bookkeeper can run them. Any competent person can run them. They will give you peace of mind and the ability to make really good strategic decisions. So look at your cash balance in QuickBooks and see what it is. Have an idea of what your monthly net is so you know how long that cash is going to last. Look and see how much income you think is going to come in. Are you going to have a cash crunch? And then look back to see whether you budgeted properly and whether you need to make adjustments going forward. Fantastic. Thank you, Brooke. And that wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Our guest today has been Brooke Lively, and you can learn more about her on on our website at uh, Legal Talk Network, or you can uh, just reach out to her at facebook.com slash cathedral capital, her Twitter account at at CathCapCFO, or LinkedIn at Cathedral Capital Inc. It's been a real pleasure having you, Brooke. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me. No, it's our pleasure. And please remember, listeners, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.